throughout most of mankind's existence. We have suffered from an identity crisis, from identity anxiety, or from identity arrogance. But if we could only get people to see, if we could only get people to see how much each person, each soul matters to God. If we could somehow get ourselves and convince others to see others the way that God sees us. I want to do something different this morning, but I want you to follow along with me because the subject is so important. The title for our study this morning is In the Image and Likeness of God. You know, a lot of times in life, regardless of how confident we might be, we might ask ourselves, who am I? What am I doing? And it's not unusual for that question to be asked in Scripture. Sometimes the question is this, who are we? Who are we as human beings? Who are we as mankind? Open your Bible with me to three passages that give some insight into who we are as human beings, who we are as mankind, men and women. Open your copy of God's Word, please, to Psalm 8, and look at verses 3 and 4 with me. Listen to this Psalm of David. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, David is contemplating the vastness of the universe, the planets, the stars, all things. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? As David contemplates the vastness of creation and the seeming smallness of humanity compared to the vastness of everything, what is man? Thank God for the insight that we get in this passage. Look at verse 4 and see what it says, and you may well want to underline it or circle it because it says... You are mindful of Him. There is something amazingly humbling about that thought that as human beings, God is mindful of us. And the second statement, you care for Him. In the image and likeness of God, 
Turn to Psalm 144, the 144th Psalm, for a second of three passages that we'll focus on. Psalm 144. Look at verse 3, and in this, another psalm of David, that the idea has to do with what's humanity? What's mankind? What people? It's the plural form. Oh Lord, what is man? The plural form, mankind. That you regard him, or that the Son of Man, that you think of him. So put these expressions together too. The insight given as David contemplates this is God, you regard humanity. God, you think about humanity. You care. Even though man is like a breath and his days are like a passing shadow. Third passage. Turn to the book of Job. It's interesting that great men like David and Job pondered this question. They contemplated it. They thought about it. Job chapter 7, look at verses 17 and 18. Job 7, 17 and 18. Listen to how it's said in this passage. What is man? that you make so much of him, and that you set your heart on him. Again, the term is really plural. What's humanity? What's, the, what's this big thing about people? That you visit him every morning, that you test him. Every moment, you know, this life, and Job understood it, is full of trials. But he also understands that God cares. You know, when you think about the collective, we find our sense of identity as Christians in the church. Jesus shed His blood for the church, Acts 20 and verse 28, to purchase the church. We find our sense of identity collectively as, as a people in the body of Christ, Colossians 1, 18 and 24, that we get to be citizens of the kingdom of God. So we find our identity collectively in that sense. But this passage is speaking of a collective, to be sure. But what it's doing is making us think about the very beginning of things. But before I do this, I want you to know that the Bible does ask the question, who am I, and it's individual. It's not used just in the sense of what is man, but who am I? Little old me. Who am I individually that God should care for me this way? Let me give you several examples. I'll give you three here. 
And again, consider who it is that's saying these things. Open your Bibles to Exodus 3 and verse 11. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11. The one who speaks these words is Moses. Exodus 3 and verse 11. The context will be quite familiar. The story will be familiar to you. God is calling Moses, speaking to him through the burning bush. And it's in this passage, Exodus 3 and verse 11, that Moses asked, he said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. That's individual, isn't it? And notice how God responds, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The promise of His presence and the promise that He will fulfill His promises. I'll keep my word. Interestingly enough, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. In this case, it's David that does the speaking. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Notice verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? If you really want to look at the immediate context and what God has just done, He has just told David in verses 12 through 16 that one would come through His lineage who would bless, who would redeem, who would save. Jesus. And the only way that David can respond is, Who am I that God has brought me so far? Maybe it's a good question for us to ask ourselves, Who am I that God would provide so much for me in Jesus? Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. David again speaks. Notice verse 14, and he asks the question, Who am I? David prays. David is allowed a great privilege. He's allowed to get a number of the building materials ready for his son Solomon to build the temple, the place where the presence of God would reside, where God would be worshipped by His people. Look 
at verse 14, Who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given to you. I believe that Moses and David have the right idea, don't you? About how not only do people matter, but how humbling it is to even consider that I matter, that you matter. It is most important that we go right back to the beginning. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Because in Genesis chapters 1 through 3, there is a great deal of information given concerning how we were made in the image and likeness of God. And I want to look with you at seven distinctives, seven distinctives of humanity. But just in case anybody messes up here, not following, you don't get what I'm saying. This expression, man was made in the image and likeness of God. Very early on, we're going to get this. Turn to Genesis 1, look at verse 26. Cody read it for us. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Do you see that? Let them have dominion, rule, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Look at the next verse, because we didn't have that as part of our Scripture reading. But twice in this passage, verse 27, it says something about being made in the image or likeness of God. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female... He created them. Now go over just a few chapters to Genesis chapter 5. Early on in the book of Genesis, not too long seemingly after the Cain and Abel incident, Genesis 5, verses 1 and 2. This is the book of the generations of Adam when God created him in the likeness of God. Do you see the passage? Male and female, he created them and blessed them and named them man and woman when they were created. Turn to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis 9-1 occurs just after the flood. Notice yet again, catch this. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now go down to verse 6. 9 verse 6. 
Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And here's what's really interesting. Five times in the early chapters of Genesis, it is specifically stated that we are made in the image and likeness of God. Something that ought to humble us. Something for which we should give Him praise and honor. Well, what about these distinctives that you were talking about, Mike? These seven distinctives that make us different from the rest of creation. I hope you're thinking about that. Look now, if you will, at Genesis 1, 26 through 28. In the first place, I suggest this distinctive. Each person is special. Each person is special. Now, if you were just looking at the creation account, one of the things I'd want to bring up is this. In Genesis 1, 26-31, more is said about the creation of man on the sixth day than of anything else that he has created. In other words, we are given more ink. And the idea is on day six, as the pinnacle, as the high point, as the apex, the climax, the high point, God creates man. And notice verses 26 through 31 go on to say that man is to have dominion over the rest of the created things. Rule. It seems to me that we're talking about a special creation. And male and female, he created them, so genders are part of God's mindset and approach in creation itself. But go with me now to Genesis 2 and look at verses 6 and 7. Genesis chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, because it's also really helpful... Verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. God does something with man here that he does with no other aspect of creation. There is, as it were, face-to-face intimacy. It's as if he kisses man and man becomes a living being. Isn't that amazing? People matter. So God intended for there to be a special and unique 
relationship with man, with you, with me. Secondly, consider this distinctive. People are personal beings. People are special. People are personal. We have the ability to say, I. We have personalities. God made us as personal beings. And when I stop and I think about that, we look different. We have different likes, tastes, abilities. How marvelous God is that He made people have personality and personhood. When you look at these three chapters, and indeed throughout the Bible, you see this. Take just a moment and follow me on this. God made people unique, each and every one of us. Look at Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. And not saying more than Scripture says, but you can see something from Psalm 139 about the uniqueness of each individual as a human being. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. While admittedly we're dealing with poetry, one can certainly get the idea, and I think rightly, that God gives us personhood and ability and personality. And it makes us distinct, unique. And we are special in the eyes of God. So, you are special, you are personal. Here's a third distinctive. You are rational. You have the ability to think. To exercise common sense. That makes us special. It makes us unique. That we are rational creatures. We can make choices. Now let me back up just a little bit. And I hope all of y'all will listen to this. Because this is really important. When we understand that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And that we are special beings. 
That will make us humble ourselves before our Creator in God. When we see that we are made in the image and likeness of God and that we're personal beings, we will want to know Him in a deep and rich and intimate personal way. This is life eternal to know God and the one that He has sent, even Christ, John 17, 3. When we understand that we are rational beings, that we think and that we make choices, I will want to love God with my mind. Matthew 22 and verse 37. I think it's one thing for some people to love God with their hearts. But the passage says we're to love Him with all of our mind too, doesn't it? It is a matter of our thought processes, our thinking. Fourth, consider this distinctive. A person, you, me, I have volition to be a person, to be created in the image and likeness of God is a volitional thing. It has to do with our will, our desires, our choices, our want to. You know, one thing we learn through life, the will can be an awfully hard thing to deal with, can it? God made us volitional creatures because He wants us to follow and choose Him. Sometimes that's a struggle, isn't it? He wants us to follow, to choose Him. In the image and likeness of God, because He's saying, I choose you. I chose to make man on this day. I chose to give all of this press to mankind. I chose you as the pinnacle of creation. I care. Number five. Consider this distinctive. We are created as emotional beings. Emotional beings. Human beings have a remarkable capacity to love, to forgive to feel compassion for someone that's hurting. Human beings exhibit potential to exhibit feelings like hatred and bitterness and sinful anger. But initially, 
God made us emotional creatures. Remember when Adam and Eve were put in the garden? One tree, one tree only they couldn't eat from? Only one stipulation and they violated His will. And part of it was the devil got to their will and the devil got to their emotion. Remember what he said? God's holding out on you. If you eat this fruit, you'll be like him. I will. Pride and emotion. Doubt. A failure to really trust in God. Emotion, emotion. All impacting the will and twisting one's thinking. But emotion, isn't it amazing that, you know, we can gather together as Christians and sometimes, you know, you sing a song and you can't help but just get kind of really caught up in the song and maybe a tear comes from your, down your, your, your eyes, from, down your cheeks. Or somebody is so sweet and kind to you whenever you've been struggling and, and the, you respond emotionally. And I'm sure we've all made visits to people who were sick and hurting and they were just so glad that we cared and the emotion was very real. Right? God created us to have feelings that long for, that pursue, that desire Him. I think we're getting somewhere. You follow me? As we look, God created us to be relational beings. That's a sixth distinctive. When God made Adam and Eve initially, our great-grandpa and grandma, imagine what they had. Imagine the relationship they had with each other. Husband and wife. No sin. Imagine the relationship they had with all of creation. Think about that. As put in a position by God to, to be in dominion over all these wonderful things created by the very hand of God. And think about the relationship they had with God Himself. They could walk with God. They could speak with God. They could hear God They had a sense of the presence of God. A real sense. I believe with all of my heart there is something within every human being that longs for more of a relationship with other people. A lot of people are lonely, aren't they? A lot of people feel a lack of relationship fulfillment in their lives. Think about relating to the rest of creation. But most of all, think about relating to God. Something was lost when man sinned. 
Interestingly enough, one of the passages that I talked about from Genesis 5 and being in the image and likeness of God, shortly thereafter in that very chapter, one would come along by the name of Enoch. And remember Enoch. He walked with God. And finally a day came when God said, you know, you've been walking with me so long, why don't you just come up over here with me? And he was not, for God took him. Lastly, now you think about this one. How are we different than the animals? These are all some distinctives, I believe. While they may share in some of these areas to a limited degree, certainly not, not at all to the degree that humanity possesses them. Man is a spiritual being. You are a spiritual being. God put something inside of you. He put something inside of me, a spirit that will be somewhere forever. Therefore, I should want to be right with my Creator, Sustainer, and Savior. Because some part of me is going to live forever. Some part of you. Now, let me just stop for a second. Because just in case the the implications and the application of this has somehow gotten lost as we've turned to passage after passage, dealing with this theme of in the image and likeness of God, how could abortion ever run rampant in a country that believes that men and women are created in the likeness and image of God? How can our attitude toward the elderly have gotten to the point that it is if we believe that human beings are created in the image and likeness of God? A love and respect for them even if their health physically and mentally is challenged? Surely that would be what God would desire. How about those who are different from us? Who don't talk like, who don't act like, who are not of our culture. If we could somehow see that those people were created in the image and likeness of God, it might help us to be better able to speak to them the Word of God. And even in the church, the body of Christ, when we collectively are the blood-bought people of God, sometimes we say things about our brothers and sisters that we shouldn't, and sometimes we treat them in ways that we ought not. And if we thought more about that person being created in the image and likeness of God, we would think twice about our words and actions. That is why this lesson is important. 
Because God made people special. He made us personal. We have personalities. We are different. And yet we can come together in Him. He made us rational and volitional. He made us emotional. He made us relational. And He made us spiritual. And to God belongs all glory and praise for making us the way that He did. And help us not to dishonor Him, God. Please help us not to dishonor you or to dishonor others by failing to see how much every soul matters. Let us stand and sing.